That chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is the best sports bar in Navy Yard, located just across the street from Nationals Park. Also a great place to check out if you're headed to Audi Field. Make sure to check out their self-pour beer wall and unlimited TVs. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to throw a strike. The Marlins will take the lead. The 3-0 on the way. Way inside, almost hit him. That is ball four, and the Marlins take the lead. Coming in to score is Davis. It's 2-1 Miami. The 0-2 from Cool. In the dirt, gets by Adams. Here comes Fortes, and he is going to score. Slider bounced in on a wild pitch, and it's 3-1 Miami. As Ward says... He holds the kick in the 1-0. Swung on, ground ball up the first baseline. Past the diving Dom Smith and toward the right field line. Thomas to chase it. This is going to score a couple. Over to third on the play goes Soler. And De La Cruz holds it first with a single between the first baseman and the line into right field to drive in two. Miami opens up a three-run lead. It's now the Marlins five and the Nationals two. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, June 18th. 2023 Father's Day 2023 a happy Father's Day to all of the dads out there along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman who is at Nationals Park and is a dad I'm Al Galdi host of the Al Galdi podcast I'm a dad as well what would a good dad say to the Nats when it comes to playing the Miami Marlins I feel like the Nats need a good dad like talking to about playing the Marlins the Nats on Saturday lost to the Marlins again a 5-2 loss in Game 2 of a three-game series. That's now our 4-13 and over their last 17 games. Now our 27-42, and the worst record in the National League. And the Nats now are 4-20 and against the Marlins in regular season games since the start of last season. This Father's Day installment of the Nats Chat Podcast is brought to you by Our Stomping Ground. Our Stomping Ground helps to give the gift of interdependent living and self-determination to adults with disabilities through OSG. Adults with disabilities can access affordable housing in inclusive communities. You can donate at ourstompingground.org slash Nats. Mark, is there a good dad-like conversation, a good dad-like pep talk that can be given to the Nats when it comes to facing the Marlins. You've been a dad longer than I have, so I defer to you on this. It is remarkable, man. The Nats just cannot beat this team. Yeah, well, don't sell yourself short now. I'm a dad of one. You're a dad of two. So you've got a little tougher than I ever had, and your two are still very young. So I don't envy you on that one. But I think my best dad advice 
for the Nationals, particularly when it comes to the Marlins, but I think it applies pretty much in general right now in the state of things, is this. Hey, you know what, guys? You are in every single game. We get to the seventh inning and it's tied or we're down a run. We've got a chance to win every single game. Let's just try to come together and do a little bit better there in the final innings of games. Let's let's make a couple better pitches. Let's have a better at bat. Let's make a play in the field with the game on the line. And maybe at the end of all that, we can actually celebrate a win after all that. I think that's what I would try to tell these guys because it's crazy. They are in this position, certainly against the Marlins. They're 0-5 and they've lost those games by a total of eight runs. And it was going to be a total of six runs until the, until the two tack on once at the end of this game. They are in every one of these games late. And they are finding ways not to execute when it really matters. And that's across the board. Pitching, hitting, defense, you name it. They are not executing when the game is on the line. I'm almost glad the Nats, if they were going to lose this game, did not lose by one run. Because what the Marlins are doing this season in one-run games is absurd and not fair and in no way sustainable. The Marlins, with the one-run win on Friday night, improved to a ridiculous 18-5 and in one-run games this season. The Marlins so are not as good as their record suggests. I mean, the Marlins, as we are taping this, have the third best record in the National League at 40 and 31. And yet the team has a negative run differential on the season. I mean, that's the kind of thing that should not be. And yet it be. So at least the Nats didn't lose by one run on Saturday. Silver lining. See, that's good dad advice as well. Look for the positives, even in a loss. You didn't lose another game by one run. There you go. Well, There are a lot of things to get to with this 5-2 Nats loss to the Marlins on Saturday. I was especially interested in the bullpen as uh, the game was going on. This isn't the biggest reason for the Nats loss. The offense has gone quiet here a little bit lately, and uh, that certainly was the case in this game on Saturday. But what you had on Saturday was Davey Martinez using Jordan Weems and Chad Cool each guy for a second consecutive day. Now, you know, it's one thing to use a Hunter Harvey on back-to-back days or a Kyle Finnegan on back-to-back days, but Jordan Weems and Chad Cool on back-to-back days. Hmm. Ultimately, in this game, three Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in four innings. Now, Weems was good. Weems tossed a perfect top of the six with three ground outs. This off what he did in a 6-5 loss on Friday night, one and two-thirds perfect innings with two strikeouts. But Then came Chad Cool into the game, pitching on back-to-back days for the first time this season, and things did not go well. Top of the seventh, he allowed two runs on a single, a bases-loaded walk, another walk, an intentional walk, and a run-scoring wild pitch. Chad Cool in this two-run Marlins seventh threw 27 pitches, a mere 13 strikes versus 14 balls. We then saw Thaddeus Ward for two innings, a perfect top of the eighth, but then he in the top of the ninth allowed two runs. It seemed that some guys had to have been unavailable for this to be the uh, bullpen deployment on Saturday. What did Davey Martinez have to say after the game? Oh, yeah, there were guys unavailable. And if you couldn't tell that watching this game, even if you don't really know the Nationals that well, I hope you could figure out that some guys were down and not at Davey's beck and calling because if everyone's available, he manages this game very differently. Mason Thompson, definitely out. This would have been his third straight day pitching. Carl Edwards was definitely out. He threw 26 pitches on Friday night in a loss and an outing that was not very good on his part. Now's where it starts to get a little trickier though. Hunter Harvey, Kyle Finnegan. In Harvey's case, it would have been his third time in four days. Finnegan had been a little more rested. 
Davies said those guys were available only if they had the lead or were tied in the eighth inning or later. So as you map this out, you get through the fifth and you decide to pull Jake Irvin at that point. You're going to go to Weems, who did a nice job and is now four straight, really quality appearances for him. So that's good. But probably not going to push to get a second inning out of him pitching on back-to-back days. So now you get to the seventh. You're saying, okay, I think I've got Harvey and Finnegan probably for one inning each. I'm going to save them for the eighth and ninth, and in large part because it was the bottom of the Marlins lineup that was due up, seven, eight, nine. And so you're saying, I need somebody else to get me through this inning. His choices were Chad Cool, Thaddeus Ward, or Corey Abbott, who people may not even realize is on the team, has been on the team for 10 days now, has not pitched in a game yet. He went with Chad Cool. We all saw what the result was. It was ugly. And it's not because he was getting hit. He had one little bloop single. It was walks, wild pitches, non-competitive pitches. There was a lot of frustrating moments to that, but to me, the worst of it was after they decide to intentionally walk Luis Arias to load the bases, he's facing Jorge Soler, bases loaded, tie game, and he threw him four consecutive balls, not just balls, none of them were close, non-competitive pitches, and then a wild pitch after all that to the next hitter. So you can say, hey, he should have gone to somebody else in that spot. Maybe that's true. But the options were obviously limited, and the idea was if Chad Cool can't get the bottom of the lineup out, what business do we have being here? And you know, I've got to save my top guys for the eighth and the ninth against their better part of the lineup. So a few things along all of that. The Jorge Soler walk was especially frustrating. Now, it's a little tricky with Soler because he has power, so you obviously don't want a grand slam, but he's a guy who strikes out a lot, and you figured, okay... That could happen. Double play could happen. Like there were some good possibilities. And of course, a bad thing is what ended up happening. The Corey Abbott thing is bizarre. It was on June 7th that the Nats designated Erasmo Ramirez for assignment and recalled Corey Abbott from AAA Rochester as the corresponding roster move. I mean, Corey Abbott and Michael Chavis can be like best friends because neither guy like ever plays these days for the Nats. But Abbott hasn't appeared in a game since he got brought up from Rochester. That is strange. I mean, not that we're all clamoring to see Corey Abbott, but it's like, (laughs) what's the point of him being up at the major league level if you're like never going to go to the guy? So I find this notion of we weren't going to go to Harvey or Finnegan unless it was eighth or ninth inning tied or in the lead. I guess if you're down by one, you don't use the guy. Like that was just the line that Davey drew, because that's obviously an arbitrary line. Like you could say, well, if it's close, we could maybe use the guy. Like Davey was pretty adamant of no, tied or leading eighth or ninth inning. Otherwise, no Harvey, no Finnegan. Yeah, I think so. And I think that, again, specific to today's game in a different spot. Again, this would have been Harvey's third time in four days. They've got to watch his workload. If he had not done that, then maybe you say, okay, yeah, we could push it a little bit. Finnegan was great the other night in Houston. He had the day off before that, the day off after it. So he was fresh. But I think that was the ultimate, he's my last guy. Whenever I bring him in, he's going to finish out this game. So whether that's in the eighth or the ninth, so you don't want to have to go to him that early. The problem is it's still the seventh. Now, I guess you can say once Cool gets into trouble in the seventh and now the lineup is turned over. Maybe you want to go to one of those guys, but you get through it. You still got to get through two more innings after that. So he's playing with less than a full hand there. Now, you know, (laughs) it would be nice if they had more arms that he could rely on that he trusted in these spots. And it's tangential to this, but I couldn't help but notice that the Miami Marlins have four left-handers in their bullpen. And all four of them have an ERA under three. 
I didn't even know that was allowed. Are you allowed to carry four lefties with an ERA under three in your bullpen? Because the Nationals, for those who forget, have zero left-handers with any ERA in their major league bullpen. So the bullpen construction, I think, is really showing up here. Yes, he's got his guys he can trust. They're not all perfect. They've all had issues as well. But as much as you use relievers, if you're not pushing your starters to go deeper in games, you need five guys, even six guys that you can trust in any kind of situation of consequence. And boy, it'd be nice to be able to match up every once in a while with a left-hander. They still do not have that. No, and it sounded off uh, our Sean Doolittle conversation the other day that uh, we shouldn't be holding our breath on Doolittle to be promoted to the majors. So we may be having this for at least a little while longer. I do wonder if in the back of Davey's mind is the reality that the Nats don't have a scheduled off day until Thursday, June 29th. And so there is going to be a lot of leaning on relievers for days to come. And unless there's a rainout coming up, like, you know, you're at it here. Remember, the Nats have that makeup game against Arizona this Thursday afternoon at 105 in the uh, not so great spot of the day before a trip out west where you start a six game road trip out west, three games at San Diego, three games at Seattle instead of the off day you have to play this makeup game against the Diamondbacks. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, this does come down to guys need to get outs and the Nats don't have enough relievers to get out. So I think this is more like a talking through what happened as opposed to like a let's whack Davey Martinez around like a pinata, you know, like I think the context here matters a ton. It just was bizarre watching this game and in real time, wait a minute, Chad Cool for a second straight day off Jordan Weems for a second straight day? Like, what are we doing here? And then two innings at Thaddeus Ward. And the game ended up going from close to not so close. I mean, and again, Nats need to hit. We'll get to that. But it just was uh, not an easy watch, especially with what happened with Cool. And because this isn't the first time they've been in the spot in the last few weeks, we've seen Chad Cool now several times in big moments, including in a save situation in Kansas City. Now, he got that one done and wound up with the save. But It's hard to figure out why that would be happening as much as it is. I think it's a combination of the scheduling. It's the starters doing an okay job, but not really consistently going six or seven innings. And so you have to use more of them. And I guess it probably really boils down to this. Who right now do they have? They've got several guys who can go multiple innings, but who do they have that they really trust to go multiple innings? And Mason Thompson was that guy in April, but we saw what happened to him, and I'm sure Davey in his mind is like, hey, we got him back good again. I can't push this too far. I can't be asking him to do that on a regular basis. So you tie that all together. If your starter is going to come out after five, then you're essentially saying, I need four relievers to get through the rest of this game. And if even one of them is unavailable, now it's getting touchy. And if two of them are unavailable, you're really up a creek. So the answer, as hard as it is to find this, is somebody who you can get to throw multiple innings and have some faith in to do that, or else you have to be willing to push your starters to go deeper in games. Two words, Paolo Espino. (laughs) The Nats could use him right now. Certainly the Paolo of the last two seasons that Nats could use right now, but they do not seem inclined to bring him up. Yeah, it's tough. And again, I don't know that any of these guys can be trusted. I mean, there's zero guarantee that a Hunter Harvey or a Kyle Finnegan would have done well in this game on Saturday. We have seen those guys struggle plenty lately. So I think it makes for an interesting conversation of what exactly we're dealing here with this bullpen right now. And think to yourself, okay, like, is this going to get better? Or is this just kind of the way it's going to be for the rest of this season? And right now, it kind of feels like this may be the way that it'd be for the rest of the season. And regarding Mason Thompson, I think it's so true. I think you can almost tell when he pitches well here lately, 
Davey wants to get him out on the high note, does not want to push it with him because this is like so precious that Mason Thompson may in fact be back to being in a good spot. And like the last thing you want to do is ruin that. So yeah, it's not simple. Today's Nats Chat episode is brought to you by Our Stomping Ground. Our Stomping Ground helps give the gift of interdependent living and self-determination to adults with disabilities. Through OSG, adults with disabilities can access affordable housing in inclusive communities. Millions of adults with disabilities in the U.S. rely on family caregivers over 60, making it hard for them to provide care now and in the future. Supporting adults with disabilities decreases the risk of homelessness and empowers people to work and meaningfully contribute to society. A monthly donation of just $10 will help OSG continue to scale in the DMV. Thanks, Eric, and thanks, Nats fans, for supporting OSG. Donate at OurStompingGround.org slash Nats. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. Are you looking for tickets to an upcoming event? DC might not have been on the Taylor Swift circuit, but still plenty of other events in the nation's capital. That's why you should download the GameTime app. Create an account and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. You get cheaper tickets and it helps the podcast a bit. Again, create an account and redeem the code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Terms apply. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. NATSCHAT is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Check out their selection of shorts and pants that come with the comfort of built-in liners. Bird Dogs make you look good. Bird Dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. Go to birddogs.com pool and enter promo code pool, P-O-O-L, for a free Yeti-style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com pool for a free Yeti-style tumbler. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise you. Garrett is ready. He kicks and pitches. Swing a ground ball right field. That's going to be a base hit into right center field. Coming home is Candelario. He'll score without a throw. Joey Manessis delivers a game-tying RBI single to right center. It's the Nationals 1 and the Marlins 1. Manessis adding to his team leading RBI total. That's 35. Good at bat. Pokes it to right center on the 2-2 pitch. 
The good pitching news for the Nats on Saturday was that Jake Irvin, in pitching for the first time in about a week and a half, actually pitched pretty well. So if you recall, his last turn in the rotation got skipped. He had not pitched in a game since June 6th, but Irvin on Saturday, what was June 17th, uh, was pretty good. One run in five innings, gave up just four hits, a double and three singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 88 pitches, 55 strikes versus 33 balls. He had not pitched well lately. He was not trending in a positive direction. You know, save for the great performance at the San Francisco Giants on May 8th, there really had not been a lot of good from Urban since being called up from AAA Rochester on May 3rd. But I thought he did a pretty good job here on Saturday. The first two innings were not very good. He was falling behind every hitter. He went to a 3-2 count on just about everybody. He threw 49 pitches through two innings and at one point was averaging six pitches per plate appearance. That's a tough way to go about living in the big leagues. But he got through that with just one run allowed, so that was good. And then he did flip a switch after that, and all of a sudden, he started throwing strikes, got ahead in the count, was able to make them chase his curveball at times. And what he did over those final three innings, I think, was really good. I did not think he would be able to get through five innings in this game, and he arguably could have gone more than five because the pitch count was only 88. And Davey said, given the layoff, given his track record of injuries and everything else, they were not going to push it any beyond that. But that's a big step, I think, for him. For a young guy who's teetering a little bit there early on to make an in-game adjustment, figure it out, and give you five solid, that's a, a big step, I think, for him. Now, you know, we'll see you next time out and all that stuff. He said he did feel physically better having had the layoff, and I think it showed. It's too early to declare anything about it, but this was a nice step for him and hopefully the first of several steps that gets him on track. So he came into the game over seven starts this season at the major league level with an ERA of 581. It really was starting to feel like, okay, how much longer can we go with this guy in the rotation if the results are going to keep getting bad and he's not getting better? He gets skipped. He pitches on Saturday. He pitches pretty well overall. Was he skipped because of the workload concerns or because he was struggling? Yes. <laughs> it's both. It's all of that together. If he's pitching really well, they're going to let him stay on rotation. He wasn't. He is a guy, just like eventually with Mackenzie Gore and maybe Josiah Gray, they're going to have to watch this. They may have to find some opportunities to do similar things with them. They're very cognizant of his workload. Jake had had Tommy John surgery a few years ago. You know, first year in the big leagues, this is a different kind of workload than he's ever been used to. So they are very cognizant of that. That combined with the struggles and the fact that it just worked out schedule-wise that they had an off day, they use that. Now, like you point out, they don't have another one for a while, so they can't do this again with any of them for at least a couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I think they were trying to be particularly careful with him. It's also why they pulled him when they did after five innings. We don't really know how Jake Irvin fits into the larger picture here. He was not considered one of their elite pitching prospects, but did well last season coming back from the injury, turned some heads in spring training. And we have seen some good from him in a few of these starts that makes you say, okay, I'm intrigued. I want to see some more of this. Now it's a matter of consistency and can he do it and can he hold up to the rigors of pitching every fifth day in the big leagues. So the Nationals in this 5-2 loss to the Marlins on Saturday actually outhit Miami 8-7, but lost the game 5-2. The Nats for the game had eight hits. Three of the eight hits were extra base hits. You got a triple from Luis Garcia in a first inning with uh, one out, and the Nats uh, did not score in that inning. You also had two doubles in this game. Jamer Candelario had one, Lane Thomas had the other. Nats drew two walks. Nats went two for seven 
with runners in scoring position. The Nats' offense on Friday night was pretty good. Nats scored five runs, pretty much had their way with Sandy Alcantara, who's you know not having the season this season that he had last season. But if you go through these recent Nats games, especially if you look at it, basically since the Nats really started struggling here, I mentioned this earlier in the show, 4-13 and over the last 17 games. You know, the Nats had that run during which the offense, I don't want to say was on fire, but certainly was really starting to come alive. We have seen some good offensive games lately. It's unlike the Nats are getting shut down in every game, but we're also seeing a decent number of games in which the Nats score, say, three runs or less. It's happening, it feels like, a lot lately. It it obviously ended up happening on Saturday, and it really is standing out. Davey Martinez, during his postgame presser with you guys on Saturday, talking about the Nats chasing. He has talked about this a lot this season, and he was back to talking about it on Saturday. Yeah, and it's about approach in those spots, especially with runners in scoring position. It's about not chasing. It's about knowing what pitch you are good at hitting and what you're not good at hitting and understanding how that can change over the course of an at-bat. If it's the first pitch of an at-bat, you want to be aggressive, but only if you get your pitch. You don't have to swing at anything just because it's a strike. Later in the count, obviously, you have to expand, but go up there with a plan of what you're doing. And it felt like they were playing right into Braxton Garrett's hands through most of this game. You had double plays in spots with multiple runners in scoring position. That first inning triple by Garcia and then Candelario Manessas can't get him home. Although they came so close. I was fascinated by the strategy of this. Garcia won out triple first inning and Skip Schumacher, the Marlins manager, has his infield in in the first inning of a scoreless game. Candelario's at the plate. He hits this little looper and it almost got over Arias's head at second base. And if it did, it would have been entirely because of the positioning of the infield. Arias just got enough to get back there and catch it, and that changed that whole inning. But I thought that was interesting. And even Candelari, who had a decent day at the plate, had one of the most frustrating ones. In the eighth inning of what is still a close game, it's 3-1, and he's got two on and nobody out. And he hits a no double play, and yeah, it scored a run, but the Marlins were happy to trade the one run for the two outs, and Candelario was not satisfied at all with that at bat. So you see a lot of these things where the way Davey describes it is if the pitcher's in a jam, he's the one in trouble, not you. The pressure is on him, not on you, and it too often feels like the hitter feels the pressure, and they're getting out of their comfort zone, swinging at pitches that they shouldn't be, not going up there with a good firm plan to try to advance the runners, get the next hitter up, and sustain a rally. The uh, Candelario double on Saturday, he in an adds one run fourth, a one out double to the left center field gap on an 0-2 pitch. He also had an infield single in this game. That's now four doubles for Candelario over the first two games of this series, 21 doubles on the season. I mean, he's well on his way to a 40 plus double season, which is actually quite good. So good to see that. I wanted to highlight CJ Abrams. Abrams is in a real rut right now. Now, he did have an RBI double on Friday night, but Abrams in this game on Saturday, 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, including, I think, one of the worst plate appearances any Nationals hitter has had this season. Not so much for the spot, but because of what happened in the plate appearance. Bottom of the third, C.J. Abrams struck out looking on three pitches. He took a called strike one. He swung and missed for strike two on a pitch that was outside of the strike zone. And then he took a called strike three right down the middle of the plate. C.J. Abrams now in this month of June has a batting average of 122, has an on-base percentage of 122. He has not drawn a single walk this month and has a slugging percentage of 195. 
His slash line for the season is 215 batting average, 259 on base percentage, 365 slugging percentage. And as I noted on the previous installment of the podcast, and as you wrote about prior to this game on Saturday, you know, the defensive numbers for C.J. Abrams are not great. Certainly not as good as people may think. I'm not bringing all of this up to suggest, oh, Abrams is a bust or Abrams needs to be benched. Like, no, he's got to keep being out there and you just got to hope that things get better. But it's rough right now, especially for him as a hitter. He, to me, looks lost at the plate. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Five for 41 this month and the zero walks tells you a lot. Not that he's a big walk guy to begin with, but the fact that he has none. And it's not like he's getting to three, two counts. There are a lot of quick outs, some really uncompetitive at bats. And you watch some of those, you'd see... He's swinging at pitches up in the zone. That's not his zone. He is a low ball hitter. And again, early in the count, know what your strengths are. Look for that. If you don't get it, take it and then expand after that. And it seems like he's putting himself in a hole by swinging at pitches that he's not going to do much damage with to begin with. He does look kind of lost up there. The rigors of playing every day in the big leagues, maybe it gets to you after a while. Davey's given him a few days off here and there, so I, I don't know that it's really that or that sitting him was going to do a whole lot for him. He just needs to come up there in a big spot and do something, just give him a good at bat and then get that confidence back, I think. He is their shortstop. That's not going to change. They're going to stick with him, but he has not been up to par here for a while now. He had, remember in April, the total numbers weren't great, but he was kind of coming through in big spots late in games. He's not doing that right now either. And it's been a little bit tough to watch. And and like you said, there are some at-bats that it feels like he just kind of gives away. The kind of at-bats that we used to talk about with Victor Robles that we haven't seen as much now. And that probably tells you why Robles is hitting eighth and Abrams is hitting ninth. I am not in any way advocating for this, but you do see this sometimes. Do you think him being optioned to AAA at some point this season is at all a possibility, or do you think that there's no way that the Nats would do that with Abrams? I think they only do that if, in addition to struggling in the field and at the plate, they feel like he's also mentally not there for some reason. If he's disengaged or not recognizing or not working hard, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't get the sense that that's a concern at the moment. You've certainly seen it happen with some very good players have been sent down as rookies. They get called back up, things straighten out. We saw them do it to Victor Robles not that long, a few years ago. Uh, remember, he went down in September didn't, or in August and then didn't come back in September. So it's not unprecedented for them to do that. But that's a pretty big statement for them to make in the situation that they're in and with the lack of a, a real viable alternative other than Ildemaro Vargas at shortstop. So I don't think we're there yet. Could it get there? Yeah, it's always a possibility. But I think it would have to do with more than just performance. I think there would also have to be a question of uh, his mental state maybe at that point. Good to see Lane Thomas with a double on Saturday. He went one for four. He in the uh, one run eighth had a leadoff double to left field. Luis Garcia had a multi-hit game on Saturday. He had that aforementioned triple, also had an infield single. He also in the top of the fourth committed a throwing error. Now the Marlins ended up not scoring in that inning. But, you know, I touched on the defense. So how fixable is what's happening with the defense here? Because it really has fallen off. The overall body of defensive work for this team this season isn't good. I mean, the numbers tell, I think, a much different story than people may think. Again, I talked about it on the last show. You wrote about it prior to the game on Saturday. But 
You know, it is like Abrams has negative defensive run save. Kbert Ruiz has negative defensive run save. Some other guys who might surprise you have negative defensive run save. The Nats as a team, one of the worst teams in the majors in terms of team defensive run saved. It felt like this was better. And I think it's kind of jarring how at least, you know, you go by the numbers, things are really not better. Yeah. And I think what actually stood out to me as I broke it down position by position was how if you just said, hey, where are they struggling defensively? You might say up the middle. That's not really the case. Now, it's not that Abrams and Garcia have been great, but they haven't been that bad. The worst production is actually coming from the catching position, from the pitcher's position. And yes, they count that kind of stuff, how they field their position, how they do it holding runners, which I think is a big part of it, and the outfield. Center field, Victor Robles is at minus nine defensive run save, and he missed more than a month. Now, I think some of that is probably the balls that were lost in the sun in April because there were a few of those. That's my guess is where that comes into play. And so is that really his fault or sign of bad defense? I don't know. But that was surprising to see. So this is kind of across the board, and it is a concern. And I think what we see in a lot of the cases is that it's not just about, oh, he made a bad throw or he's got bad mechanics on this or that. I think they are not making the smart play very often. They're trying to make things happen that aren't there. Maybe they get to a ball and try to make a throw that instead of just eating it, maybe an outfielder, this has happened with Lane Thomas a few times, is trying to throw a runner out instead of just hitting the cutoff man and that's letting the trailing runner advance behind him. Those kinds of things, they build up. And it is costing them as a team. I think it was fair to say in April that the defense was considerably improved from last year. Now, it still wasn't good. They were still like 20th in the league. But from where they were last year, that was a huge improvement. Right now, they're playing kind of at a level that they did last year where they're at the bottom of the pack along with the A's. And Davey said this more in a broad sense. It wasn't specifically about the defense. But I think it underscores a lot of what's going on right now. The quote from him after the game was, The thing is, it's almost like we've got to play perfectly, and that's tough to do every night. And that's what happens when you're not hitting a lot, when your bullpen is limited in some way, and then when you do make a mistake in the field, it really becomes magnified. So yeah, at their current state, they need everything to go right in the course of a game to win it. And when your defense is not up to par, it shows up. It's interesting, too, like Lane Thomas entered Saturday at minus three defensive run save. Like, I bet that that surprises people. He's had all of these outfield assists. You'd think, well, Lane Thomas must be a defensive positive on the season. Well, no, actually, if you go by DRS, he is in. And defensive run saved is not gospel. A lot of these defensive metrics are a little spotty. A lot of teams use proprietary defensive numbers because the publicly available ones aren't the greatest. But something is better than nothing. And certainly like defensive run saved is better than errors. And I think with defense, it is important to have some kind of an objective methodology. Because if you just go by what you see and what you think you've seen, that can be very misleading. Like the eye test with defense in baseball can be way off and really skewed. So you need some sort of objective standard. And defensive run saved is probably the best among the publicly available metrics. And, you know, it's just, it's really disappointing that the Nats are rating like this because at least if it was like middle of the pack, you could say, all right, you know, that's not great, but that is improvement from last year. This is like, no, they're near the bottom of the league. And a lot of key guys who you would think would be better aren't doing better. Like, especially with Kbert Ruiz, he's not having a very good offensive season. A good bit of that is some bad luck. But at least you'd like to be able to say, well, but yeah, but defensively as a catcher at a key defensive position, he's excelling. You can't say that. C.J. Abrams, same thing. Well, he's struggling as a batter, but you know what? At least he's excelling at a key defensive position. 
you really can't say that. And, you know, that's tough because you got to obviously be bringing something to the table. And at least so far, these guys aren't doing the things defensively that we feel like they have the ability to do. Right. And I don't know about you, catching is always a tough one to really understand what is being measured there because there's a lot to it. Pitch calling, pitch framing, throwing out runners, you know, the actual, you know, fielding of anything that, that comes your way. So I never really know what to make of that except to say just anecdotally and watching it with my own eyes. And I get that that's not always the best thing. It does feel like it's not as good as it was last year, not throwing runners out certainly the way that he did last year. I know. The metrics they have for framing don't rate him very well, and that that can be a problem at times, and that ties in with the pitching staff. Riley Adams is not rated well either. The two of them combined are, I think, at minus nine. So, yeah, you would like with young players, you want to be able to point to something and say, okay, well, he's struggling in this area, but he's doing this well. And in both those guys' cases, Abrams and Ruiz, at the moment, you would say they're not really doing either especially well. Kabert has had his moments offensively more so than CJ but neither of them is really excelling in the field at the moment. We want to thank our sponsor for this installment of the Nat Chat Podcast, Our Stomping Ground. Our Stomping Ground helps give the gift of interdependent living and self-determination to adults with disabilities through OSG. Adults with disabilities can access affordable housing in inclusive communities. You can donate at ourstompingground.org slash Nats. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show, we'd love to have you on board. Uh, again, that email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have a new website. You can check that out to natschatpodcast.com. Al, can I throw one thing in before we leave? We want to give people something to be excited about on this Father's Day. As we record this, and there's still a ways to go, and by the time you listen to this, it could be different. Paul Skeens, pitching in the College World Series against Tennessee, is through three scoreless innings, allowing one hit, no walks, seven strikeouts. Dominance! And hopefully we have a lot more of that to discuss on uh, the next installment of the podcast. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Dash Chat Podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. All Nationals radio highlights on that Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. 2-2. Two, two. Strike three called at 100. 200 strikeouts this season. She went back, grabbed a four-seamer, let it go. Still touching triple digits. So now that's yet another inning that Skeens has thrown 100. All eight innings, he's hit at least 100 miles an hour tonight. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider 
with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.